You're listening to the Over a Drink podcast, the podcast dedicated to normalizing normal men talking about normal things, putting purpose to pain, turning men into soldiers, and weaponizing testimonies. I'm Mitch Parsons, and I am your host. Hello, and welcome to the Over a Drink podcast. We are on this kind of series of zoom calls uh this will be three weeks in a row that i've had uh a zoom call and i really like it it's fun because it allows me to talk with men who are not in proximity to me and uh the man that i'm talking with today uh he was actually introduced to me by his daughter who listened to the podcast and she said that um her dad would love to um, share his story or would be interested in sharing his story. And I learned that he is, uh, he is v- very on board um, with this, which is so cool to hear. Um, he is living in Kentucky right now. And so I cannot afford to drive time-wise out to Kentucky to meet him personally. And so we are meeting over zoom, uh, but here we are. His name is Wally. Uh, he is a counselor. Um, in Kentucky, he works with people, um, and he he loves the Lord, and he um, he does his job through that filter, and I love that. And so, I want to give him a chance. Well, first of all, I am drinking Starbucks again, over and over again on this podcast. I tell you that I'm not a Starbucks guy, and over and over again, I have Starbucks. But I would just like to say that that is actually more of a I'm my wife's guy, and she loves Starbucks, and so we go to Starbucks more often than I would care to admit, even though I always admit it. Wally said he was drinking a diet Coke, Coke zero, Pepsi, Pepsi zero, zero. Pepsi zero. There there are Pepsi people and there are Coke people. You you betcha. And we need to delineate that clearly, Mitch. You are a Pepsi person. I'm a Pepsi guy. Yeah. Okay. Well, Wally, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate (laughs) you being here. Um, If you were to um, introduce yourself in a minute, uh, elevator pitch, you, you get up, someone gets on the, on the elevator and, they say, tell me about your life in an, in one minute. And we'll go deeper, but just, just an intro real quick. One minute, what would you say? Oh, my goodness. How do you cut down a radio guy to a minute? Um, in a minute, I am, first of all, a Christian, a believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus. Um, I'm 64 years old. I've traveled, lived in three or four places in the world, four or five states in the, in the, in the U.S. Uh, love what I do. I've never had one morning waking up saying, oh, man, I can't believe I have to go to work today. Love helping people, want to let people know about the Lord, but also just the, the regular pains that they have to try to help. And uh, I love Australian rules football. I uh, love 70s rock. Um, I used to love regular Pepsi, and then I got a diabetes diagnosis. So now it's down to Pepsi Zero. And um, I guess that's probably about a minute. That doesn't really feel like much, but there's a thumbnail sketch. No, that's that's great. Uh, so you're 64 years old. And now I'll ask questions just so that we can fill in some 64 years old. You lived in multiple countries. What What were you doing? I was a missionary with an organization called Transworld Radio. I first went there in my mid to late 20s. Uh, it's a long story, but I made a deal with God and he held me to it. And so I had to go to the mission field. Um, and, um, but love the experiences. I first went to a little Island called Bonaire in the Southern Caribbean. That's where I met my first wife. And, um, hopefully that saying that line first wife won't freak people out because part of my story is her tragic death. Um, but we, we met there, 
Uh, I served on that island for nine years with Transworld Radio. Then they asked me to transfer to the island of Guam out in the Pacific. And I was there for about four and a half years. Uh, loved my time there. I uh, was scared to death because it's hot, it's humid, and there's snakes. Um, but it was it was a life-changing experience for a lot of different reasons. And then after that, a buddy of mine went on, in the same organization, uh, what I had known is he had gone down to Australia and was being courted to produce a radio program down there. He ended up saying that he would come if under one circumstance, if he could bring somebody with him. And, uh, and that someone was me. I didn't know that. He sprung that on me and my wife. And, uh, and it was one of those moments where we talk about how much do you have to pray for something? And, uh, and he said, Wally, we'd really like you. And my first wife's name was Martha. We'd really like you and Martha to come to Australia. Well, pencil, let me pray. Yes, I'll go. Uh, yeah. What he didn't know is that that was number one on my bucket list to go to Australia. And that was so cool that the Lord opened up that door. So we then went to Melbourne, Australia for three years and uh, then came back to, uh, to Colorado and that's, we were living in Colorado at that time. Uh, unfortunately, as I said, 11 months after that, my first wife passed away. And uh, it was just a few years ago that with my second wife, Beth, that we, the Lord was just kind of churning and, and, and working. And I knew I wasn't going to stay in, in Colorado anymore. And, uh, and through a lot of different circumstances, he brought us out to Lexington, Kentucky. And I've lived in California, Michigan, uh, Colorado, as I said, uh, I guess that's really only four, but, you know, moved around a lot and traveling is one of my number one things that I love to do. So that's awesome. And that's super cool. Well, thank you for sharing all that. I, um, I wish that I had the opportunity to travel more than I did um, prior to having a baby. And I feel like that might be put on pause for a little bit, <laughs> but uh, I want to give you the opportunity to share um, your heart and your story and, uh, just what the Lord has done in your life uh, to be able to just yeah use your testimony a little bit. And so uh, the floor is yours. I, I apologize that I don't really give much more than that. It's just kind of like, and here you go. And so, uh, <laughs> and so wherever you feel like you would like to start, uh, we can start in the middle and work in a circle or we can start at the beginning or we can work at the back and work backwards. So it's up to you. Okay. Well, I will talk. And if there are questions that come to mind, Mitch, feel free to break in. It's your podcast. So you're, you're ultimately in control because if you weren't recording, nothing of this would be happening. So you, you are, you are the man. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Any questions that come about, I think what I would start at is what are my passions? Um, you know, as, as human beings and as men, we have passions. Uh, those that are serious that matter, is in my, my marriage counseling work. I, I totally 100% believe in marriage. I believe it is God's plan. I believe it's the ultimately the best way to live. Now, don't mistake that for saying that our, there are some people that he calls to not be married, and that's okay, and that's not worse by some factor. It's all according to what he does, but I think within marriage, we have this opportunity to, uh, uh, you know, iron sharpens iron, uh, as it were, as scripture says. Uh, we have a chance to have some of our flaws exposed, which isn't always easy. It's rather painful, uh, but it does grow us up, and the Lord will use anything in that regard. Um, Part of that, and and I know this may sound just a little bit weird, especially if anybody knew me in the past, uh, is the fact that my wife and I are also certified sex therapists. And that is something that we feel that the the church as a whole, this is not a condemnation, but has not always handled the subject of sex real well. And there's a lot of people out there really hurting in the realm of sexuality. 
uh, whether as singles or as married, you know, confusion and hurt and uh, things like that. So there's a real passion to, to help people that are hurting in that regard. Um, and then one of those ones, and I know that part of what uh, your, your podcast was founded on is the aspect of shame, especially men who feel shame. And that's a big one for me personally. Uh, I don't feel like I experience much of it anymore. Uh, and it was a, a difficult road from the standpoint that my wife and I are both counselors and we still can't really figure out where all the shame came from. Uh, I have little bits and pieces of it, uh, but be that as it may, the Lord has worked in my heart. And I, I occasionally, it, you know, it's a little trigger that sneaks up every once in a while, but for the most part, it's not there, but it was a road. I mean, I was, as I tell some of my clients, so they have hope um, in that regard, really most of what I've learned about myself and in life has happened in the last three years. And as I said, I'm 64. So that means I was into my 60s before I really, really got to know myself well and found the real me that wasn't affected by shame, that wasn't affected by thinking that I'm not worth it, that I'm not good enough. So that means there was, you know, 60 years of my life where I felt like I didn't belong. I didn't fit in. I, I had the shame and, and, you know, I was a nice guy. Everybody liked me. But what they didn't know is that I was so often scared of not being good enough, sort of having to be perfect in order to be accepted. And that was, that was a big part of my road. Um, another big part of the message that I'm passionate about is hope. I mentioned that earlier uh, after my first wife passed away. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that story in a bit. But um, I felt hopeless. I mean, I knew the Lord. I accepted the Lord at 11. But my wife was so, so much a part of who I was in my life that after she died, depression set in, panic attacks took place. I thought I knew for sure I was going to be alone. I didn't know if I could be loved again, but I certainly knew that nobody could love me again. And because uh, my wife was really my one and only. And, um, and, and so that was, that was a dark time there. As I came out of that, God in his amazing grace, once again, um, used that. And uh, I ended up uh, starting speaking at a, a divorce recovery group because I played keyboards in a band at a church there in Denver. And, um, and so uh, one of my, my co-keyboard players asked me, she was leading the group, asked me and, and then my, my fiance to, to speak at the group. And, and I really realized how much giving people hope was such a significant part of life uh, and, and because there's so much hopelessness. You know, that's why, why Jesus is so important. And yet it's so amazing that so many people either don't look to him or reject him or think, oh, that's just a bunch of do's and don'ts and rules and who wants to live that way. And what they miss out on is, is that amazing grace. Um, so in, in terms of just a little thumbnail there, again, that's, that's kind of what drives me in, in the subjects uh, that, that I find the most passion. I, I left out in my introduction. I'm also identify as a dad, you know, congratulations on the almost, uh, birth of your, of your child. Um, but I've got those two daughters. I've got, uh, uh, my, my youngest daughter, Shannon, that you knew, and I've got a daughter, Kyla, who also lives there in Denver with her, her wife, uh, her wife, her husband, Michael. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, yeah, they, they, they mean so much to me as my kids. So anyways, I'll, just, I'll, I'll drop it there for a second. If you have any questions, that's a little bit of where I'm coming from. Yeah, no, I, I think that that is, um, it's awesome that you're able to use your past in what forms your passions today. And I think um, it's encouraging to me that, man, I mean, just knowing from our previous conversation uh, that you, you became a counselor 
late into your later into your life. Like it wasn't this thing that you at in high school, you're like, I want to be a counselor. <laughs> no, like it was something that, um, and I think that's encouraging to people is that uh, you're able to, to pivot throughout. Like you're not, if you're not satisfied with where you are, or like, I think that the Lord reveals uh, passions to you almost like an onion where like you're peeling back parts of your life. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I, I enjoy this. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I'm, I'm, this gets me like my heart racing a little bit. Like, um, and you were able to go, you're, you a are able to now counsel with your wife, but you're also passionate about that. And you did it. When did you start counseling? Um, I became a counselor uh, back in 2006. So it's been for about 15 years now. Uh, And again, that was a direct result of my wife's death because I went into counseling for grief recovery uh, and, and my counselor, she's there in Denver. She's an amazing woman and she's wonderful, uh, really helped me uh, recover from that because after I was uh, kind of really going through the grief recovery, we started dealing with stuff about life. And that's where a lot of the things about who am I as a man, uh, came out. Cause she asked the, asked me the question said, Wally, what is a man? I couldn't answer. Hmm. I, I, I was stuck. And one of the, the most helpful things she did is she gave me the book, um, uh, wild at heart by John Eldridge. And that was life-changing. Now I'm not a manly man. I don't like to, you know, hike or climb mountains or go hunting or fishing or any of those things. I'm a computer geek. And I like, you know, (laughs) as I said, Australian rules football. And I sit around at a computer most of my day uh, when I'm not counseling. Um, But still there were lessons in there about what it meant to be a man. And at one point in time, and this was a significant story, uh, because also six months after my wife died, I lost my job. So I was now an unemployed mm-hmm. single dad of two girls, eight and 13. And, um, there was, I, I was having time, having meals with people because I had a lot of time on my hands. Yeah. And there was this one, two week stretch where I had a meal with four different people. And each of them in the midst of this meal said, well, you know, I shouldn't tell you this, but and they they lay this story. I'm like, what are you seeing in me? And, you know, internally, I'm going, what is it? And I really kind of heard God say, this is because you can listen to people and you can help them. And I'm going to use you in that. And it was after that, that I went back to my counselor and I said, what would you think if I went back to school and became a counselor? And she said, Wally, that would be great. She said, there's not a lot of men counselors out there not a lot of men Christian counselors out there. And then she was a little snarky saying, and there's not a lot of good men Christian counselors out there, which I thought was funny. She said, I think you'd be great. And uh, it wasn't long after that, that I got my application into school and uh, went back to school to become a counselor. That was in my late forties. So, wow. That's so cool. And I, I, I would agree with that. That honestly was what kept me out of counseling for a while was the fact that I, I was pretty, uh, picky on the fact that I wanted a male Christian counselor and then add the layer on top that I wanted it to be an eating disorder specialist mm, um, right. and, or an, one that deals with athletes. Um, and it was, I, I couldn't find one. And so I literally, it, it, it prolonged my counseling start uh, by six months because finally uh, my wife, actually, she, when I started doing this, she was like, you, my wife is very wise. Um, she said, you can't be calling men to go to counseling and to be talking if you're not doing it yourself. Like right. you need to, to be, you can't put the cart in front of the horse. Um, and my thing with this, even with the first episode of this whole podcast was like, 
I can't call someone somewhere where I haven't been. Like I can't, right. I can't ask them to go somewhere I haven't been. And so, but you are right. You are an anomaly in being a male Christian counselor. So if you're listening to this and you want to be a, a Christian counselor and you're a man, please do, because we need you. Um, <laughs> we need you badly. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, so you, you, and you talk on shame. You talk on, I think I love the thing is, is, a lot of what you do, uh, th- the three things that you mentioned are all things that, because this podcast, as I'm as, as I've been talking with people, the kind of the common thread that I keep talking to, like testimonies are awesome, but I, I want to even take it one step like broader than that and say, I just want to get men talking, mm-hmm. like in general, and then we can talk about testimonies, but the idea that be like, like, Hey, let's talk about testimonies right off the bat is hard when they're not, people aren't even comfortable talking at this point. And you're talking about three things, shame, sex, and counseling that men just don't want to talk about at all. Unless, <laughs> unless you're in the locker room and it's like, Hey, how many women have you slept with? Or you're like sitting around with your friends and it's like this gross, like, pride thing of as if you were sleeping like that that's the context that i hear sex talked about sure um not the sex is a whole nother thing when you get married it's it's like a uh because i i mean i'm not proud to admit but i was not a virgin when i got married and the the difference between sex being married and sex before that is just so different mm-hmm. but men don't talk about that and i'm sure right. the couples come in and that's baggage that there is so much baggage with premarital sex that like, if, if I could like, man, I hear me, I lived it. I had sex before I was married. I wish that I would not have because the crap that I'm having to unpack due to that mm-hmm. is like, it's not, wasn't worth it. <laughs> sure. it wasn't can worth I give, it. can I give you a little perspective on, on why we teach that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, part of it, and and because I think this is so important, uh, it's very easy for for people who, when they hear people say about, hey, you shouldn't have sex before marriage, they all think it's this big morality thing. We're trying to squelch fun. We're trying to, uh, you know, say, hey, you can't enjoy it. And let's face it, if you're if you're in a healthy sex life, it's an amazing, wonderful thing. Yeah. And of course, then you can say, well, it's it's you know, this is something that God intended only for marriage, which is true, and we promote that completely. Yeah. But when we go to the aspect of when we encourage people, and my wife and I do a lot of premarital counseling, used to teach part of a premarital class at a church there uh, in, in Denver. I think you, I've heard it on other podcasts, Red Rocks Church. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, we used to be part of a team that taught a vows class, and, and we were the unit on affection and sex. And so one, we would always challenge the people in the class there to, if they're having sex, to stop having it. And you could almost just sort of feel and hear the grumblings, uh, you know, and we said, here's the reason why we're doing it. We're not trying to be spoil sports. We're not trying to rain on your parade. We're not trying to steal your fun. Yes, we do want you to obey what God says is best, but here's the reason why sex is, is a great bandaid. And I don't use great in a positive sense there. Sex can cover up things that people who are not married yet need to talk about, need to discuss, need to uh, uh, work out uh, disagreements, problems, different perspectives, uh, so many things. And so when we would, we would issue that challenge and say, we challenge you to, to not have sex between now and when you get married, no matter whether they're you know, a month from being married or two years from being married. 
is to not have sex. And here's the reason why. We want that stuff that needs to be exposed that is being covered up by the Band-Aid of sex to be able to be exposed so you can work it out. Uh, and the number of people we have that, that would then come to us and, and say, you know, we did what you said in the challenge, and we've been fighting more than ever. <laughs> and I'll actually say, good. It means you're having a chance to expose some of the sex stuff that the glory of sex was covering up. Mm. And, and so now you have a chance to be more mature, to grow in it, so that when you get to marriage, and you now in the right context are able to experience sex, that you will have so much of that crap worked out. And, 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 and you'll be able to enjoy sex more for what it's supposed to be. Now, does that mean we get to marriage and all of a sudden sex is just incredible and unicorns and rainbows and everything's perfect? No. No. And that's where we continue teaching people about what is sex? What is it for? Because uh, that is an environment, as you said, Mitch, that so many people experience shame, uh, disappointment, quiet inside, uh, suffering with it because it's not everything they thought it would be. But yeah. that doesn't mean it can't be worked on and understood. So I just wanted to add that perspective of, you know, we want to get rid of the Band-Aid and deal with the stuff of life in order to have yeah. the best marriages possible. Hmm. Yeah. And and it's not what I act. And you've, you spoke to this. So I, I, I never want the first time that I have a guest on my show to be the first time I ever talk to him. And so Wally and I had a phone call uh, about a week ago um, and just a true introduction and you had mentioned pornography as pornography counseling as something that you, and I've yet to have, which I'm curious to see when and, and how it will, it will happen because I, um, I think I mentioned to you that I, I did this entire, this podcast is more of a project to me. It's like an art project uh, okay. where um, I, I sat with two, with a hundred men over two years and said, Hey, will you, um, just share your story with me. Uh, and now I want to do it in a way that it's recorded and shared. Um, and so you're 11, you're number 11. Um, but so far, not one man has come on and talk about pornography, but in my previous experiences, I would say 70% of those men talked about pornography or, mm, sure. um, or lust or, and so I don't know if it's all of a sudden it's being recorded and people are like, I don't want to talk about it because, but you, but you being a counselor, I, I do believe that sex, like you said, it's not what you thought it was going to be. What well, it's, we live in such a world where we're inundated with sexual promiscu promiscuality is that a word promiscuity, promiscuity. you're promiscuity. close promiscuity <laughs> there it goes promiscuity we're so we're so inundated with it where like you turn on the tv and every netflix show is like nudity or sex and then you drive down the highway and there's a casino advertisement with a girl standing there and no clothes and um and you watch these, like you watch porn, like a lot of men have, I would say a majority of men have seen a pornographic video at some point in their life, whether they intended to, my first experience with it was, it was shoved in my face in a locker room. Someone said, Hey, look at this. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not to say that I haven't watched it on my own because I, I, that's just truth. But like, then sex in real life in marriage is not and just in, in any time is not porn. <laughs> like it isn't. Um, would you speak to just, I don't know in what way, but like being a counselor um, 
and me knowing my audience and the audience that you're speaking to, I can confidently say that 70%, at least, at least, at least 70% of these men um, would glean something from you just speaking to that realm um, as mm-hmm. a counselor in that area. Oh, I'd be happy to. That That is a subject of passion as well, because it is so pervasive. We are such a sexualized society, and, and yet we don't have a lot of healthy messages about it. Um, certainly selfish messages are what we more, most hear, you know, the aspect of like, hey, you deserve it. And let's face it, on, on, on one level, any addiction, be it, be it porn or, or drinking or drugs or shopping or gambling or whatever, we wouldn't gravitate toward them if they didn't bring a payoff. If there wasn't a sense of an endorphin release or the dopamine rush or, you know, anything that happens. So we understand. Plus, with sex, you have something that was God created. He made it uh, uh, on a three-pronged way for people in marriage to enjoy, uh, yes, to create kids, but also for pleasure as well as for protection. You know, that protection one is one that is often left out, uh, that God wants us as, as married men and women to have sex on a regular basis as a means of protecting ourselves, because there are so many influences and temptations out there that we can partake of. And if we don't have a, a, a rock solid connection with our spouse, it is so easy to drift. And so what is the area that so many drift to? It's pornography. Uh, and, and don't think that it's just a man's thing. Uh, for men, we gravitate to it so much more easily because of our eyes. That's the way God made us to appreciate beauty. Uh, but but women make up about 30% of the, the porn users out there. Mm-hmm. And so it's affecting women as well. Why? Because they've bought the message of the enemy and, and they've delved into that. And it's we're all inherently selfish in our sin nature. Uh, and so we go there. What people don't realize is, well, this isn't hurting anybody. I'm looking at these these pictures or these videos, and that's not hurting anybody. Uh, yeah, well, it is. Um, it's hurting themselves. Yeah. It's, it's hurting if they're married, their spouse, if they've got a girlfriend, their girlfriend uh, or boyfriend, for that matter, if they're, if they're you know, man or woman that has the, the difficulty with it. And it's, and it's messing up with their mindset in terms of what real love is, what real connection is, what real value is. Uh, a great author, Patrick Carnes, he wrote, has written many books on it. One of them was In the Shadow of the Net. Uh, it's probably 15, 20 years old now, but, um, but it's still a great book. And he referred to it as, uh, you know, when we engage in pornography, we're engaging what he calls courtship gone awry. Courtship from the standpoint of we want a relationship with somebody, but our society has become so antagonistic, so polarized, so unsafe that we go, I don't know if I really want to risk getting involved in a real relationship or opening myself up much. You said earlier, guys don't talk, you know, overall, that's true. Guys are hesitant to share their heart and get vulnerable, but if they want courtship or deep relationship, what's an easy path to go toward pornography. And, and so as courtship gone awry, it's available, it's affordable. It's um, anonymous. So there's, there's sort of this foe, this fake relationship. We fantasize we're in relationship with that, people, the, that, that person or those people we're looking at, again, whether in pictures or videos, uh, and, and see ourselves as part of that equation. And for a bit of time, that gives us a sense of belonging, a sense of, wow, I matter. She wants me. This is great. But it never fulfills because it's phony. 
And it's and and uh, quite frankly, it's coming from the pit of hell. It will never fulfill momentarily in moments. Yes, there will be those neurochemicals firing that feel great, but will it last? No. And the number of guys that I work with that will testify to what I just said, I thought it could help. It's not. It's empty. And now I'm trapped because it's become a habit to go to, and I don't know how to break out of it. And and that's a lot of what I deal with. Uh, I call there being two different veins of porn. Uh, we go to it either because of lust, which there's a lust component to any of it, but also because it becomes a habit of, of our go-to when we're feeling stressed, when we're feeling less than. It's like, that's just what I do. And it propagates it. We, we can get to where we don't even like it, but we still use it because it has become such a habit of relief. Mm. So anyways, I, I could go on for probably two or three of these things talking about it, but I'll, I'll leave it there. That's the thing is, is that's, it's something that needs to be talked about. And I, I mean, I would, I will go first talking about it too. Like I, we can sit and talk about it to normal. I want to normalize these conversations where they're not such a stigma or there's not a shame around it. Like if you Absolutely. need to hear that, if you need to hear that there are other men who are addicted to this stuff, like. That is true. I can. I I have been bl- covered by the Lord in this area in a way that I cannot fathom. Like I don't wrestle with this, and I am so thankful for that. But I I do know. I I like on the top of my head, I see faces of men that I've sat and talked with, where it's like you do, and there's nothing wrong with that because I think truly, like you are a victim of the society that we live in. Like you made a choice, and you are reaping the repercussions of sin. Like that's what happens. Um, we knew that with the fall, but like your sin is not dirtier than my sin, just because I don't have a, a testimony of porn, right. um, does not mean that I am a better Christian than you or a better human than you. It just means right. that my, my vice is different than yours. Um, Absolutely. And I, and I love, and this is like on a, a big, a big, same tangent, but a nice right turn. You talked about, um, the three purposes of sex. Um, pleasure, protection, and uh, procreation. Procreation. I can attest to the the protection aspect um, only because I mean, you as humans, and I mean, my wife. We we desire at once at one point to be doing what you and your wife are doing is to do marital counseling. But being that we're only two and a half years in, we need a little bit more experience. <laughs> I would say. But when we're your age, we would love to do that. But and so she would be okay with me talking about this. We talk about it openly with our friends. Um, but we, when you have gone a couple of days or a week without having sex, there is a tension between the two of you. Like it is so bonding that you. Like, and when she first found out she was pregnant, her first trimester was awful. It was, she was Mm. either asleep at work, (laughs) at home, wanting to be asleep or asleep again. Like there's no, there was no, and we went a couple like weeks and without like physically touching each other, even like, like, because she was so nauseous that like the idea of me even being close to her was like, please don't. And (laughs) I, I, but, but you said like, like you'd mentioned, like when you don't as a man, a, the temptations all of a sudden are, are heightened. It doesn't help when you're kind of on edge because there is a true, like, like there are times like when, when Jess and I are kind of at each other's throats and I like recall on my head, like, when was the last time that we like, we're physical and intimate together. Like when mm-hmm. was the last time that we had, because like, I was like, Oh, it's been a couple, that would make sense to why we're at it. Like we're not. Um, but it was like weeks. And I literally, I, I laughed about it when one of, one of our, 
our older married friends was like, there was a point in our marriage where we were so busy that we had to put it on the calendar. Like, Hey, we're having sex tonight. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like laughed because we were like a year into our marriage where we couldn't keep our hands off of each other. And we were like, Oh, we're never going to have to put it on the calendar. I was, I I remember (laughs) sitting, I remember sitting at the end of my bed being like, babe, I know you feel so sick. And I know that I'm like, but the next time that you don't feel sick, can we like put it on the calendar? I'm like, I, I'm like, because it, I, I'm like, I am starting to like mentally go places that I don't want to go. And I'm like, right. I need to, we need to protect our marriage because like the physical human anatomy, the male anatomy of me is like starting to like get more momentum than I want it to have. Right. Um, and so that's real sex is like, really is a tool and a weapon. Um, it's not just for, um, I've had friends who they literally are like, I think, I think like the people joke about makeup sex, but I really do think that like, when you're in a, like, when you're in a fight, like there is nothing that's more healing than to be like, I still love you in this way. Like, I'm really pissed off at you. You hurt my (laughs) feelings, but I still love you. And so, um, and I think that that's something that men should talk about more in a, in a, in an appreciation of sex, not in a, Mm -hmm. um, like an aspiration of like, I want to have it, but like, I Mm -hmm. need to have it because it's a beautiful thing. I think, I think, yeah, what you said there, all of that is spot on, Mitch. I think one of the important things that, um, that is not, dealt with or talked about a lot. And this was one reason, as I said, that my wife and I went into the field, uh, especially as it is in the church, is that we are sometimes raised to to be ashamed, to feel ashamed of that we feel sexual or that, you know, I'm a man or you're a woman. And and, and it's like, uh, there, there just tends to be so much uh, negative associated with that. And especially for guys, as you've, you've indicated, inherently, we know that maleness, if you will, about us, what we desire. And yet we know that's not something that you're supposed to talk about that much. And so we, we push it down. And as in doing so, we sort of negate or um, deny our sexuality. Now, it's, there's a different, it's kind of like when, when it's quoted in scripture, you know, be angry and sin not. There's nothing wrong with the anger. The anger is a normal human emotion that we feel. Yeah. The problem is, don't act out on it in a harmful way. So be angry in sin, not you could almost say the same thing about our sexuality, be sexual, but sin, not don't deny your sexuality. And that was really one of the, the, the turning points for me as I came to grips with, with all the temptation and lust and everything else that I experienced there was being able to say, no, wait, time out. I am a man. <laughs> I do like the female form. I, they're beautiful. I do like looking. There's nothing wrong with that until it crosses that line into the lust area. But once I was able to just acknowledge, I'm a man, I like that, but to not cross over into sin. And so, so many of the guys that I work with, I do, and almost to a one, they're they're fighting with that where they feel ashamed of their sexuality. It's like, I am this way, but I feel bad about it. And I try to help them to, to say, you don't have to feel bad about it. Yeah. Be, be proud of the fact that you're a man. In fact, be thankful that you have those types of, of desires. You just have to control those desires in a healthy manner. And of course, that, that opens up a whole nother door of how people do that because that is so tough. But, but the, the point being, don't deny your sexuality, meaning who, now I'm not talking about sexual behavior, I'm talking about your sexuality, who you are as a man, 
and to any ladies listening to who you are as a woman. Embrace that. It's the way God made you. Be glad about it. Don't don't have to be ashamed about it. Yeah. How would you? Okay. I kind of do want to open that door a little bit. Like we're going to peek in um, because I feel like a lot of, I'm, I have, you and I have the privilege of being, or have the privilege, the, the blessing of in our current state of life to be married. And so when I do have those sexual urges, I mean, with um, my wife being in the same boat as me, I'm able to act on that. Like um, as a single person, um, who is a, a who is trying their hardest by God's grace to walk in what they believe in in faith? Um, who is not able to go physically act on like so? You're acknowledging yes, okay, hey, I do have these urges. I am a human. I I am physically attracted to X or Y across the mm-hmm. across from me. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm not. If I'm trying to, if I believe and I do that, sex is for marriage. How, because like you hear the term, like, oh, she's, she or he is grumpy. They just need to get laid. Like they just need to like, they just like, (laughs) they need to just go like, um, get, get, get it out. Like whatever, um, get it off their chest. Like whatever the term is that you would use, like how, what would be if you could like in a, not without opening Pandora's box, because I feel like, I mean, but like, if there was someone who was single, who's listening to this, how would you recommend in that moment? Besides like, I mean, there's such a Christian, he's like, pray about it, like pray, like, um, which <laughs> I mean, that, that helps to an extent because you can pray about anything. Um, right. but like as a counselor, what do you advise, um, your, uh, clients or the people that you work with when they have those, those okay. moments? Well, first of all, I'm going to say that it's not, it's not easy. Um, it is, it is a, a challenging, it, I encounter that so often when, when I'm working with single guys here in Lexington, we got the university of Kentucky, huge college population. I, I work with a number of guys that, that come from there. And when they're the, especially the Christian guys, they struggle with that. So my first thing is I empathize with you. You know, if there's any guy listening right now in that boat, I would say, I empathize with you. It is difficult uh, when we have that, I mean, God, the hormones are bursting and, you know, the, especially on college campuses, you'll have girls wearing next to nothing at times. And, and how can, how can you not see that and kind of go, Oh, wow. I mean, so yeah. part of it is we got to be real about it, that it exists. Okay. Yeah. To, to not, de- again, as I said, to not deny, yeah, that's attractive. It is. So, yeah. so let's stop saying, well, I shouldn't look at that. That's evil. No, it's not. That's the way we're wired. They're beautiful. Yeah. Is we just don't want to go further. So that's really the question. How do we do it without going further? I'm going to go to the, to the end and come back. And that is that, first of all, if anybody stumbles in that regard, um, if they uh, even go so far as delving into sexual behavior, yeah. um, meaning that if they're engaged, you know, if they get involved with with another person, a woman, uh, it, obviously talking as guys, um, if they engage in masturbation as a result of it, looking at porn, What I want to say to that is while not softening the sin that that is, I also don't want to say that we don't have to condemn ourselves and be condemned for all of the rest of eternity. Mm -hmm. It's a sin. We look at that and we go, oh my goodness, what an incredible sin. Oh, you're so, well, what about gossip? What about slander? What about tearing down somebody's other character? What about calling our our partner character slamming names? Is, Is that really any better as far as sin? 
So I try to encourage people to know, first of all, I'm not giving you license to sin, but I am saying it's not the end of the world. Because one of my favorite verses is 1 John 1, 9, that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And he adds this part on and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. So it comes down to, am I willing to really believe that? So that if I go, oh, man, God, I looked and I lusted and I, I masturbated or I had sex or whatever. And that God, I am so sorry. It's, oh, would you please forgive me? And he says, done. That's the incredible nature of God. He says, done. He says, not only that, I'll clean you. Now, does that mean we stay clean forever? I wish it were that easy. But theoretically, you know, we can, but when we mess up and it's all in this whole cycle of change that if I had more time, I'd, I'd talk about some of that, that we get stronger, we do better, and then we fall again, right? Yeah. But does it say in that verse for the, like that, you know, how often should I forgive seven times? And he says 70 times seven, which in essence is a euphemism for however many times it takes. Yeah. Is Jesus saying in first John, what John is writing that it's one time offer or five times or 10 times? No, he says, if you confess your sin, he's looking for the heart hmm. that when we fall and we say, oh man, God, I fell again, Lord, I am so sorry. This is so difficult. Would you please forgive me? He knows our heart. And if it's real, he forgives us. He cleans us. We've got a chance to move on. Uh, okay, again, that could be a safety valve, an escape hatch for people to go cheap grace. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and sin because I know I can come to the Lord. That one's going to be a little tougher because you're actually taking advantage of God's grace, what we would call cheap grace. Okay. Yeah. And, and then just, just real briefly on the other, um, as I would do with any addictions, let's find alternatives. Let's find other things that you can, when you're feeling that urge, when you're feeling that battle is to find, you know, whether it's playing guitar, whether it's going for a run, whether it's calling up a sponsor, whether it's whatever it is, there's all sorts of alternative behaviors that we can engage in to get past that moment. I'm never going to say that moment's just going to go, Boop, it's gone because it's not. I mean, let's yeah. be real. It's not, we can dwell on it, but we got to stop ourselves from dwelling on it. Got to stop ourselves from creating this monster of it. Go to some other behavior, uh, an escape hatch, if you will, that yeah. says, okay, when that urging comes, I'm going to go do this exercise, whatever it is. Yeah. So as you can tell, I get carried away with the subject. I'm sorry for no, kind of I going. I love it. I love it. But it also speaks to like what you said, it, uh, it is a response to something and, and it is an addiction like that. Like, and just like anything that you can be addicted to it, I feel like, and maybe I'm, you're, you are much more versed than me in this. Uh, but like, I think to addictions are chemical releases in the brain and it's your response to those. And so whether that be an endorphin from a like on an Instagram or whether it be, whether it be the actual chemical response to a drug that you're taking or with, I don't know that I would imagine that there's a mix of an, an endorphins and chemical responses, testosterone, uh, when it comes, that's more hormonal, but when it comes to, uh, sex, like these are things that like you are responsible like also like someone joked with me they're like if sin wasn't fun we wouldn't do it right like if we if we didn't enjoy it then we wouldn't do it but like all of the idea then is that sin has every action has an equal and opposite reaction and um sin is one of those reactions or uh, actions that result in a negative reaction right um but for you to be addicted to a sexual thing porn sex sexual i feel like we as society we over um emphasize the or like we just really 
like amplify the the grossness of sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- that is something that I, someone gave me the analogy once of like, to us, we see, okay, sexual sin is a volleyball, but then last night I can be an example. I, my receiver dropped a wide open pass across the middle. That would have been a touchdown. And I needed those points in my fantasy football. I was pissed. <laughs> and I, I said some things at my iPad that I probably should not have said about this guy. And I'm like, you idiot, da, 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 whatever <laughs> that, that is just as much, but I see that then as like a baseball, but the analogy that someone gave me was like, if I were to stand here and throw a baseball up at the sky and you were to throw your volleyball up at the sky, God sees little white specks. He doesn't see one bigger than the other because uh-huh. by definition, sin is a, and I'm sure people have heard this sin is a archery term called missing the mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and anything that's not a bullseye, which is perfection is a sin. You send three inches, you send four inches. Well, in the kingdom of heaven, this is why the cross is so great is that all sins are covered that despite the distance that you missed the mark. Right. And you can't regard like God cannot be in the presence of sin. So whether or not you missed one inch or three inches, you're disqualified. Like we're all in the same bucket. We all are sinners. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like people are like, they put these different, they assign, um, well, there's a, well, gosh, dang it. What, what verse is it? Um, it talks about how essentially we, God hates an inaccurate scale and God hates an inaccurate, like measuring, like we as humans assign different weights and different things to different sins. And -hmm. for some reason, sexual sin is a bigger sin. Sure. Sure. Um, Whereas in God, in God math, you, we all missed, (laughs) we all missed. Right. Um, Now I think it's, it's uh, on that particular one, just briefly is the aspect that if we're talking about society standards versus God's standard, you know, there are some sins, socially speaking, that are going to wreak greater havoc, that are going to cause greater difficulties. But in terms of God, any sin, no matter how small, no matter how big, ultimately separates us from God. And all it takes is that teeny tiny bit of separation, which, you know, happens, you know, pretty much instantaneously in our lives uh, in that regard, that um, any, any of it that separates us from God requires the savior. And that's why you hear that phrase, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Doesn't matter how great you are in society, how small you are, doesn't matter how big the sin, how small the sin in God's economy, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're all the same. We do want to acknowledge, however, that some sins do have greater social consequences uh, than others do. So we want to separate what we're talking about in in terms of uh, the nature of sin and the results. Yeah. Wow. That's really good. Um, thank you for, I think I'm really excited for this um, as, as we are working through this or moving along as the ticker is moving on. <laughs> I'm really excited for this episode because this is something that I wholeheartedly believe that people in my life need to hear um, the conversations that we're having. I need to hear. Uh, I'm super thankful that we have you on uh, today because um you just have wisdom in it. And I think wisdom, uh, I, one thing I, I, I said the other day, uh, and I, it, it was one of those Holy spirit things. So I had never said it before. And I said, I was like, Oh, 
dang. <laughs> like, um, there are so many different, like counseling isn't for everybody. Like sitting down and across from you, uh, isn't like some people are super uncomfortable by that, but mm-hmm. counsel is biblically stated that it is for everybody. And there mm-hmm. are different forms of counsel. Um, and there's different forms of seeking wisdom. And like, even this, like hearing you, some people might not, you might not be comfortable, not you, but whoever's listening to this might not be able to comfortably go sit across from you and talk about this, but you are giving them an opportunity right now to, to glean from this conversation counsel. Um, mm-hmm. from a counselor like that's awesome so thank you um oh i didn't tell you that i was charging you for this i will send your invoice <laughs> uh to my people um and my people no. I, they're pretty slow at responding so i'll get back to you <laughs> i'll get back to you uh, no i'm obviously joking i love being able to help whatever the form is uh and, and this is great actually it does take me back to my radio days because i was in radio for 25 years so what, what was your favorite uh, part about radio days um what was my favorite part? It was actually when I was a producer, producing programs, because uh, yeah. I didn't get any big yeehaws off being on the air. I was on the air a lot. Um, I, even people who back in Denver, if they hear I used to be on KWBI years ago, um, evening overnights on the weekends. Uh, God, that was a long time ago. But um, but but no, it's it's it was the one thing that I wanted to do. You talked about careers that people go and yeah, I, didn't, I never thought I was going to be a counselor never even leaned toward it at all it was circumstantial all i ever wanted to do is just work in radio specifically i wanted to be a sportscaster um and and i i remember when i was nine or ten years old on a little transistor radio uh the way the atmosphere was working picking up a broadcast uh in northern california of of the new orleans saints football team (laughs) and uh and it bounced on the on the airwaves and, and I received it and I thought, this is amazing that on this little radio, I can hear something from halfway across the country. And right there, I said, I got to work in radio. And Lord was gracious enough to let me do it for 25 years uh, in different capacities, whether managing on air producing or something like that. But there's something magical about producing a program, even producing an ad or a special feature that, that your creativity goes into it. And then you hear it on there and it's like, oh, that's so awesome. So, um, but no, so it's, it's great to be back, you know, talking on, on something similar to that. Well, I'm very glad that you are, um, while we are on the kind of transition, um, you, you had alluded to it a little bit throughout a couple of times, but you met your first wife through radio. Um, Mm -hmm. and will you talk a little bit about a, cause, okay. So I think you being, courageous in the call to um, do ministry or do missions work is something I'd love to talk about. Like, because the idea of moving out of the country, moving, going out of the country in itself right now is like. (laughs) Right now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But like to move, had you, you, I guess, obviously you hadn't, you didn't have your, your girls yet um, because you hadn't met your wife, but like to say, okay, I'm going to move to, uh, the first place was not Guam. The first place was uh, the island of Bonaire in the, the Southern island. Caribbean. Yeah. In the Caribbean. Um, you, you moved to the Caribbean on a call. Um, if you could talk about that and then meeting your wife and um, just how you process the loss of your, it is a pretty loaded question, but could we go into like that aspect or go into sure. that? Sure. And if there's anything that I leave out or that leads to a question, please, 
you know, jump in there and ask. Um, and that first, you know, going to the mission field, um, I, I will dis- dispel for me. There was one time we spoke at a church and a woman asked, how did you know that you had a call? And I, and I told the woman, I said, in all fairness, I said, I hope this doesn't disappoint. I, I never felt called. I was a radio guy. This is something that I made a deal with God and it was going to involve, if I'm going to go overseas and do missions work, it's got to be in radio. And so I looked up different organizations and trans world radio is the one that sort of like, you know, I threw the dart out. It's like, okay, that's what I'll go with. And in all honesty, I wanted to go to our broadcast center in Monte Carlo. Why to do the work? No, I wanted to go over to Europe and it was going to be the only way I'm going to get there. I had a brother doing missions work in Austria at the time. This is great. I can go visit him. This is wonderful. Isn't that sounding like this wonderful servant heart to reach people for Jesus? Um, So false pretenses, as it were. But I did go uh, and went down, as I said, this little island of Bonaire, Southern Caribbean is about 20 miles long, seven miles wide, about 12,000 people at the time um, to do radio work. And, you know, it, for whatever reason, it wasn't a big deal for me to say, hey, I'm going to up and leave. I guess that's because by that time, my dad had died and my mom had died. My, my dad died at 49 when I was 10. My, my, uh, wow. Did I say my dad? Yeah, my dad died when he was 49. I was 10. My mom died when I was 24. She was 61. And, uh, you know, so it's kind of my life, even though I had five siblings, to leave and go to another. It just it didn't register as any big deal. Yeah. And um, and so uh I don't know whether I thought it would be an adventure or what. I was only going to commit one year to it again because I'm such this this great Christian soul who just wants to reach people. I thought I'll go do my time like a year in prison, get done, come back home and continue on with life. Uh, That was short circuited by meeting a a woman named Martha Brown that, um, you know, I saw her and, and asked her out on a date and she said yes. And we went on a date and. 28 days later, we were engaged. So I don't Holy necessarily God, recommend 28 days. Yeah. <laughs> I think that I, I joke, I, I proposed that to my wife after three months. You got me beat by like lots. <laughs> wow. 28 days. I can't necessarily say that I recommend it, but I knew my heart. I knew what, what I wanted. And if she hadn't died, we'd still be married. In fact, in August, we would have been celebrating our 35th anniversary. Um, but anyways, be that as it may, she, she grabbed my heart and, uh, fell in love and we got married nine months later. And, um, and so we were back, we, we were finishing up a short, short term thing. And then we started doing some work in the U S and really felt like God was saying, I want you back on the field. So we committed to full-time career work and went back to Bonaire and nine years after eight years or seven or whatever, after that, then, as I said, he called us over to Guam and, on Bonaire, that first daughter was born. On Guam, the second daughter was born. And, you know, marvelous years of ministry. Uh, one of the biggest stories was when we were out on Guam. There's a super typhoon, Paca, in 1997. And all the other stations, TV and, and radio on the island, were knocked off, uh, except for ours, KTWG, wow. a little local station. I happened to be the guy on the air. And so I was the only voice anybody could hear through the course of that night um to help guide them through give them the weather reports what's happening with the the typhoon especially when the eye hit the island to say don't think it's over it's a temporary thing but it took like seven hours for this thing to go over the island and just tore it apart uh, fortunately nobody died uh during that that time but experiences like that uh that it's like wow god thank you for for using me allowing me to help people in that regard mm-hmm. 
But, uh, you know, then we went to Australia. We created a radio program called The Reality Zone. It aired in, I don't know, something like 40 stations in five countries or something like that. Uh, we went there because suicide was a huge problem in Australia and uh, among the youth. And so we wanted to address that. And there I was, you know, a producer uh, of the program. And, and we went with that. Um, but when that time was coming to an end, it's kind of like the mission was saying, you got a choice. You can go to another field and do either financial work or something that's like, yeah, no, thanks. Um, you know, I wasn't going to be on the air anymore. We had been successful in nationalizing all the ministries that we were involved in, getting, handing it over to the locals. Then I said, okay, you know, I'm going to go back to the States and, and do something else. And how, what do I feel God's will is on those directions? Make a choice, follow him closely and then make the choice. And if he doesn't, doesn't want it, he'll redirect you. And if it is within his will, he'll let it happen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't get real mystical about all that stuff. I approach it very practically. Um, and so anyways, then we came back to the U S and, um, just got settled into Denver a little bit. And, uh, as I said, 11 months later, my wife had to have a little medical procedure, went into uh, the hospital, talked to the doctor, everything went fine. Two days later, I brought her home. And uh, then two days after that, I came home from work to kind of help her walk you know they talk about when you've had a procedure you know walks with blood clots don't develop and that type of stuff and as i did she collapsed in my arms and kind of went into a fetal position eyes rolled back in her head and it's like oh my goodness what's going on here uh obviously you never expect anything like that and uh and and so we were right outside the door of a of of a bathroom and she sort of came to again and she just said oh i'm so tired just I said, what do you want to do? And she just, just, just hold me. I'm just tired. And we sat there and she had another seizure and it happened again. She came out for a few seconds and then went back into another one and went into a coma. And um, so that was, that was the last I saw her conscious. Uh, She survived, if you will, two more days, but she was, she was gone. There was nothing in her brain. And what had happened is she, she had whether spontaneously or, unknowingly carried in her body a thing called thrombophilia which was the inability to break down blood clots and so when i mean that's that's a very basic definition of it but so when she was cut into on the procedure from that moment in essence she was she was dead and because the blood clots started developing and they threw in her brain and her heart and they're just clotting throughout her body and uh and and that was it so that was the beginning of a long journey of, as I said earlier, depression and panic attacks and sadness and loss and feeling completely inadequate as a father and having to do it alone and, uh, and a long journey of, of, for a period of time. I won't say losing hope. I never got angry with God, but boy, I should have a lot of questions about why. Why did this happen? This was the love of my life. This was the only person I'd ever known. You know, we go back to sex. The only person that I'd ever had sex with in, in, in marriage, honeymoon night, that was our first time having sex. And, um, you know, so I was, I was lost and, um, you know, so that was, that was the beginning of a, of a, not a long road because I said, I don't want to live in grief for a long time. And so I hit it hard and I allowed the darkness to come and uh, and really kind of take me over and it was it was a very hard uh traumatic journey um but one that god was there the whole time um there's there's a verse that was huge to me at that time i know i'm rambling here no, um I, no, psalm, psalm 13 that begins with something like you know how long oh lord will you forget me 
And, uh, you know, how long is, in essence, is this going to take? How long will you turn your back on me? And that's, as I said, I didn't get angry, but it's like, God, where are you? Why? I couldn't, I, 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 could, I say I couldn't pray. I prayed. I didn't lose faith in God, but I, I didn't have the words. And that's why I went to scripture. I'd always heard pray scripture back to God. So that's all I did. I just read scripture to him as, as my prayers. And that's when he led me to, because in the next two words, uh, two verses, verses three and four, David gets real bold and kind of puts these, these fleeces out there challenging God. Yeah. And then in verses five and six, I don't have it memorized, but something to the effect, but the Lord is good. He's given me a new song. And it's like, wow. In six verses from abject how long will this go on forever to the Lord is good. And that was my journey as I went in that. And, uh, you know, six months or so out, I started coming out of it. And two months later, I, I met my now wife and in October would be married 15 years. And, um, and she's, she's a counselor also. And so God was good. He restored. I felt it's a little bit like the story of Job. You know, he lost his kids. He lost his his, his land, he lost everything he had, but in the end, God restored it. And yet, as a friend told me, he still had to walk by 10 graves of dead kids. So, so while I love my wife now, she's incredible. She's helped me grow so much. We make a really good team because we're 180 degree opposites. Um, and, um, and yet, I, I still almost daily have little, little glimpses, little memories of my first wife because she was you know, she was my, my, my first love in that yeah. regard. So. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing. And I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. I, um, I think too, it's, I have been blessed in a way that I have not experienced loss at mm. an intimate level. Um, I both have both of my parents. I have my sister, I have my wife. I only went in that order because that's the order that they were introduced to me in my life. Sure. Um, sure. <laughs> um, I, I still, have both of my sets of my grandparents by like by the grace of God. I don't understand how good for you. Um, honestly, the cynical part of me is a little bit nervous because I'm like, okay, there's gonna be a season that's gonna suck because all my grandparents are in their 80s and mm. my parents are getting older and like I I haven't lost anybody yet. Like that's good the that's, that's the cynical part. It was like yet though. Mm -hmm. But like yeah. I I say that because but like I so I say that to say that I don't have the understanding or the perspective of like life post lost. Right. Um, and I, I hear your story and I hear my, my buddy Jackson, who will, I talked to him yesterday, but it would be next last week's episode. On, if you're listening to this on a podcast and he lost his, he lost his sister, his older sister. And he talks about how that was, it's a, it's a weird tension. It's a, he talked about the, the importance of being able to feel all of the feelings. Mm -hmm. um, he said, because I, be, I, the life that I live today is solely a result of that impact moment in my life. Mm -hmm. He's like, I, and I love the life that I live today. He goes, I wouldn't, he runs a nonprofit for people um, for suicide awareness and he runs. Oh, great. Um, and he does all of this awesome, awesome like work that he does. Um, but he never would have been revealed in like similar to you, your, your passion for counseling um, was revealed through this horrific experience. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't, I, I admire you guys so much because I don't see myself being able to do that. Mm 
like the loss, like seeing a loss, like, holy cow, I can't imagine losing my wife and then being like, well, life goes, I don't think life would be able, like, I literally can't imagine life going on and seeing you living the life that you are today is encouraging because you're able to honor your wife in the way that you are living today. Um, and I really appreciate that. I loved, I, I, lo- I thank you for sharing and speaking about it. I can't, I can't imagine, um, I can't imagine it. And um, man, and you're, and you're, you're putting purpose to pain because I acknowledge that how there has got to be so much pain in that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think one of the, that, that has, I mean, it was directly the death that led me into counseling uh, because yeah. of how much counseling helped me. Uh, but I think that, that uh, I would have to say that of those that it's hard to say that I enjoy uh, it's not the right word for the setting, but the, the type of counseling that means the most to me is when I'm dealing with people who have lost someone yeah. uh, through death, whether yeah. it's a spouse, whether it's a parent, whether it's a grandparent, whether it's a child, heck, sometimes whether it's a pet. Um, those, yeah. those, those people, those, those creatures that we have such a strong connection to my wife. Now, uh, she was a horse lady. She used to do hunter jumper type competition uh, across yeah. country. And when, when she had to have her horse put down, um, she really couldn't talk about it for about 10 years. The grief wow. was just that extreme because she was uh, her connection with that horse was so incredibly strong that, I mean, it was honest to goodness grief. People who don't understand that could go, it was a horse for goodness sake. Come on. No, it was part of her life. And a big part of her life was cut away with that. Mm -hmm. Grief is a very individual thing. I really caution people about putting anybody into a box about what grieving should look like uh, because it's so individual because you'll get people like, guy, you're still, you're still struggling with that. Oh, shut up. And I mean, that's the way I want to respond because grief is individual. It means different things to different people and hits them that way. So the best thing that you can ever do with anybody who's grieving in your life, don't push them. Don't think you know what it's supposed to look like. It's going to look different for everybody. And, and, and just be there, just allow it. You don't even have to be there with words. Sometimes I just sit with people and we hardly even talk. They just need somebody to be there. And, uh, and, and, and yeah, grieving it, grieving is a tough one. I am really thankful for you, Mitch, that you haven't had to go through any or much less yet. Um, when it hits, it's, it's a challenge, but I guarantee you once again, the Lord is there. Whenever any of that happens, I do hope that you and Jess have a long, long life together and you never have to go through that. But I would say to you, even if it did happen as it did to me, I mean, again, my wife was only 41. Um, when it does, God can give strength. And that's not just a churchism that we're saying. I lived it as a truth, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't pain, doesn't mean that there wasn't depression, doesn't mean that there wasn't hurt, sadness, lostness. All of those are very real human emotions. But God is good. And as I, I think it's Second Thessalonians, somewhere in there says, we grieve, but not as those without hope. Even there, we can have hope, but we still grieve. So I still grieve. And, that, and that's that. Thank you uh, for sharing that. And I, I actually have a question out of that um, because I feel like so often I want to apply the so the, the men the, as a man um, context lens like as a man, we are told, hey, um, provide for or like 
which is true. We are to provide for our house and we are to, as parents and as dads, we are to um, lead our children and protect our children. How did you find that balance though? Because um, you had an eight and an 11 year old, you said at the time, they eight were? and 13, eight and 13. Yeah. Um, okay. So you, you are now charged with a taking care of your children in an emotional capacity because they mm-hmm. lost their mom, but you have to take care of yourself too. Um, and that, that is conflicting because sometimes I tell people all the time, it's okay to be selfish when it comes to your mental health. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. like I tell people like all the time that like, Hey, yeah, you are supposed to be this, this, and this, but like, you can't be that, that, and that if you're not okay. Correct. Like, and so, but, but you can't completely ignore your children and you right. can't complete. And if it's, if this is like, if you lose, if you've lost somebody and you have your wife, like you're still responsible for caring and loving your wife through her grief and your grief. And, um, in your circumstance, how did you balance um, self-care, but also parent parental care. Well, I think that for me, counseling was what provided it is by me going to counseling. It, um, it allowed me to have somebody that I could talk to somebody that I could dump on somebody that I could cry with. And there were plenty of tears shed in the midst of those counseling sessions. Um, that, that, uh, you know, even as you're starting to recover and you're going, what's this going to look like? You know, and things about taking care of the kids, because so often you can feel so terribly inadequate. Um, I would say the best thing that, that a person can do before anything like that happens, which is always healthy anyways, develop a support network. Don't go it alone. Um, and if you have, as a married couple, other couples that are friends, uh, you know, as well as as an individual, develop those individual friendship for guys with guys, for women with women. We really want to be careful about individual friendships with people of the opposite sex. There's just too much inherently dangerous in that. Um, But if we have those friends, as I can say, I was blessed enough that my wife and I invested in our church and in a small group and people we got to know. And when she died, they were there. What can I do? Can I bring a meal? Can I watch the kids for you? I had family nearby. My sister Marilyn was just an absolute blessing and gift during that time because there were times she could watch the kids when I went to counseling or when I you know, was involved in other things. Uh, so I think that prepare the support system and then count on it. Don't go it alone. Don't feel like, oh, I don't want to bother anybody with my burdens. Oh, that's so much crap. They're there for that. Ask them. Call on them. That's what being friends and supporters and truly brothers and sisters in Christ is all about. You know, and and all of this is is not necessarily easy, was not, is not easy for me because I'm a fairly strong introvert. Now I know that it, that that talking like this can well, that guy's not an introvert. Look how much he's talking. But internally, I am. All things considered, I'd rather sit at, sit at home alone at my computer doing genealogy work than I would going out and seeing friends. And that sounds terrible, but that's the truth. I'm right? introverted, and you so, would never guess that I'm introverted, but I get that. So sorry, I interrupted you. But oh, no, no, you're cool. I, I, I think that that's something important to realize, um, that it's not always easy to reach out, but it's really valuable to do it. I didn't want to call those friends, but I did because I knew I needed it. And they were there to help, as I said, with meals, spending time. One guy took me out to a movie. Another guy, uh, I think we went to a ball game. Uh, another guy, you know, went out for for meals. And these were people who just really showed Christ to me. 
is they invested time and and it sounds weird to say it this way and i allowed it as opposed to going no 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 don't need it no yes you do need it don't be so proud and hung up on yourself that you're going to turn away these these gifts of of blessing and love that these people want to offer you huh yeah wow and i i love when you said you invested in your community you invested in your church uh I, I love that word because so often we forget that with investment comes dividends. And like, yeah. um, and so I feel like we we invest and as Christians, we're like, oh yeah, I'm investing, I'm investing. But then, then it comes to like receiving the dividends and I'm like, I, I, I don't need it. Thank you. I'm okay. But like, not to like put transaction on interaction because the heart of investing is not so that you receive. Right. But but when that time comes and you need to receive, like, mm-hmm. that's okay. Like, there is a reason, like, you have, like, if you've invested in somebody at the church, if you invest, if you, if you've loved and poured out yourself into somebody, why then can they not pour out back to you? Um, sure. Which, which is hard. I have a lot of friends who they, they're in that same boat as you where they are like, I don't, I'm okay. I'm, well, you, you received it, but they, I can like, you don't, you're not going to reach out and ask for help. You're not going to. Um, and so it takes, it takes the, and that's the other thing the, I like that I'm a, I'm an analogy guy or like a, a picture. Like um, I love to write sermons because I love the Lord gives me, like, I see things in metaphors. And so, Good. Um, and so it's like, Oh yeah. Investing. You don't have to, when you have a, my grandparents haven't been investing their whole life and every month without them asking, they get dividends back and they live Mm -hmm. off of their dividends. And, um, you, there are going to be times in your life and you are evidence of this where you need to live off the dividends. Like you need to be able to live off of the, you've poured your heart and you poured your heart into your church and then your church was able to pour back into you. Right. Um, because you were broken and empty and um, broken. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> well, and ultimately, uh, isn't that what the, the when we talk about the church, the body of Christ, isn't that ultimately what what one of the 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 key functions that it that it is is to be there to help those that are hurting, as it says, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Yeah, we love the rejoicing. That's fun. But to also be there and weep with those who weep to go, man, that sucks. Um, what do you need? How can I help? That is so important. So if we're available for those hurting or they want to be there for us, don't let don't let your pride get in the way hmm. and say, no, no, I don't need that. I'm st- oh, come on. Yeah. Just 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 humble yourselves hmm. and, and and be willing to accept the blessing that someone else wants to hand out. When you're stronger, you will probably be more inclined to invest that blessing in someone else because of what you've received. That's why I wanted to become a counselor. My counselor invested in me, helped me recover. I, that's why I wanted to go back to school and do it because I thought, man, the way she helped me, I want to be able to help someone else. And the Lord has been gracious and allowed it. And just like your friend there in Denver is we're about a month out on scheduling here. And it's frustrating because you want to get people in quickly, but it's like... We're looking at the first week in October in terms of getting you in. So, you know, hang in there with us. Good problem. So, yeah. Well, and that, and again, like you said, it's, it's a good problem in the fact that people are starting to be okay with the idea of seeking counsel. Absolutely. Um, not the greatest problem that 
we don't have enough people who are qualified to give counsel. Um, so it's kind of a, a catch 22 a little bit. Um, yeah. But you also, you had mentioned the idea of uh, just sitting with people. And mm-hmm. and I think as men, we like to fix things. Um, it's in our DNA to fix things. And I, I think that you, um, you had mentioned with all the things, I love the things that you mentioned. You went to a movie with someone that requires someone sitting with you and not talking to you. Right. Right. <laughs> you went to a ball game with somebody and that requires going and probably talking. It's too loud to have any kind of like meaningful conversation. Nothing, nothing deep. Sure. And then you went to, I'm sure over dinner meals, over meals, conversation can be had, but it wasn't, it wasn't this, you had a whole bunch of people come over and sit around your coffee table and say, this is what you need to hear Wally. It was, Hey, let's just go be. And like, I think that that's like something that I need to learn is that you can't, I mean, I'm learning through marriage um, because there've been many times that my wife is like, Hey, just be sad with me. Like, we don't have to like, you can't fix it. Just like sit and sit here and hold me. And that's all I want from you. That's all I need. Absolutely. There was a song. It's it's one of my all-time favorite songs. Came out years and years ago. There'll probably be about, you know, two people on the face of the earth that would know it. Uh, but it was from an album called Coram Deo by a Christian singer named Charlie Peacock, who didn't really like to think of himself as being in Christian music. He was just a musician who happened to speak to a Christian audience. But it's called Now is the Time for Tears. And the, the words are now is the time for tears. Don't speak. Save your words. There's nothing you can say to take the pain away. Don't try so hard. You can just simply be. Stay with me. Don't try to fix me, friend. That's how you'll comfort me. And wow. I just, I love those those words. I love that song. And that was, I listened to that one a lot after my wife died. And I thought, yeah, don't try to fix me. I'm not broken. I'm just hurting. Just be with me. And I was, I was fortunate enough, the Lord blessed me with people who did. Wow. I'm going to have you at, uh, after this text me the, that song, um, just so I can put it in the show notes so that you bet someone, if someone wants to go listen to it, um, that would be awesome because man, I think, uh, music has this power that it transcends time. Like, even though it's an older song, those words are where the words transcend time. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, whether it is a couple years old or it's being spoken now, or it was spoken hundreds of years ago um it still carries its weight um so i love that i want to go listen to it um man i i don't want to take up we've been going for an hour and i don't i we I, our, our initial zoom call was supposed to start at 10 it is now 11 30 i don't know what time it is how long we've been recording um this episode um but i don't want to take up much more of your time wally i really appreciate you uh coming on here i I am so excited for this episode to air. Like, I really want to like bump it up to the front because I believe so like wholeheartedly that it is something that people need to hear tomorrow. Um, but I'm going to honor the process and I'm going to honor what um, I believe we prayed before that. Not by, Well, I know that we prayed before this and what you prayed for this podcast is that the Holy spirit will use it in his time. And uh I believe that right now his time is looking like October <laughs> when we sure. release this. Um, sure. And so um, I want to give you a chance for any, any pressing thoughts that you're sitting saying, I, I want to say this before we go. 
And then I want to wrap it up because I, I don't, I want to, you're a counselor who is doing this on your day off. And I want you to be, able to take, <laughs> I want you to be able to take your day off and enjoy it. Um, go do all you're saving me from is mowing the front yard and trimming and all that fun stuff. So thank okay. you for distracting me from it. <laughs> here's the thing. I live, we live in a townhome right now. And there is no yard that I need to maintain. <laughs> Good for you. No, no, I miss it. I, oh, live, I miss, I, okay. I, growing up, I had a backyard that was big and annoying and had tree roots. And like the idea was <laughs> the, the idea of mowing it sucked. Cause it was like weed whacker. Then we transitioned to edger. Then we transitioned like all these different things had to be used. I just want a square patch that I can, <laughs> that I can mow and have lines in. I want to be able to see the lines. So I kind of miss cutting the, the yard. So I'm sorry that I'm holding you back from being able to mow your yard. <laughs> oh, I am, I am struggling so much with the idea of being away from it. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I really appreciate, I love the, the the breadth of what we talked about. I guess the, uh, yeah, the wide range, the spectrum of what we talked about. I think it's important sure. um, that we acknowledge that we can talk more about sports. We can talk more than just about sports and what we did on the weekend. Um, sure. And- I, th- I think that if I, if I had to have a, a final thought, uh, it, it's just encapsulating some of the stuff that I've already said. And that is that when we're facing those difficulties, whether it's grief through loss, whether it's addiction, whether it's um, financial difficulty, whether it's shame or whatever, don't go it alone. When we isolate, one of the first things that I talk about with anybody dealing with any addiction is don't leave yourself isolated. Okay. I mean, now we can't be around people 24 seven, you know, especially if you're a single person, but don't, don't, don't do the struggle alone that there's a reason why a sponsor is a part of a 12 step program Mm -hmm. is that you need somebody you can call on. I tell people when, when, when they're my clients, um, I'm setting myself up, but I say, you know, if you're struggling with something that's three or four in the morning, call me, don't do it alone. If you're, if you're battling with something, you know, and that can even be when somebody's suicidal. Those are not easy, but I'd rather have somebody call me at three and four so that I can try to, you know, euphemistically talk them off the ledge and and let them know that they're not alone, that there is somebody who cares. And right now they're just in a hurting bad place. And I shouldn't say just that's minimizing it, but you know what I'm saying? Don't go it alone. If you have an addiction, don't let yourself isolate. If you're grieving, find somebody who can, as we've already talked, sit with you give you some a few words, especially if it's a, a trusted Christian friend that you feel they've got the wisdom to listen to the Lord and, and deal with you in the way that is best. Um, life was never really meant to be lived alone. It's and, and by that, I'm not using that as a euphemism for marriage, though it could be. It's the idea we are community. We are, we are to engage, even us introverts. You know, yeah. tonight, my wife and I are going to dinner with some good friends. She happened to be our real estate agent and, and did such a great job. And we just said, can we get to know you a little bit better? And now they're some of our best friends. So we're going to their house for dinner, dinner tonight. Awesome. Community, enjoying each other, but don't go the tough stuff alone. That yeah. that never works anywhere near as well as, as it is when you have somebody there to walk with you. Wow. Yeah. I want to end it on that note because you are 
more wise than me. And so I, I don't want to, I don't want to try. <laughs> I'm to, just older uh, and louder. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, you, you're not louder. I promise. I, <laughs> I, people joke about like the, they hear me cause I'm a, I'm a youth pastor or I guess I'm a youth pastor volunteer. My brother-in-law is a youth pastor and I, um, then it, it's a family affair cause my wife's a worship leader and his wife runs youth production and just production in general within the church. And so, um, I am not by title or not by um, vocation a youth pastor, but by title, I would say that I pastor youth children. <laughs> but, Excellent. Um, I am very loud and I dance on stages and I wear, <laughs> and people are like, you're not introverted. I'm like, you don't understand. I walk away from that tank on zero. Like, zero. I hear you. I hear you. I'm like, and because introversion and extroversion is where you get your energy from and whether people deplete you or add to you and, my wife walks away like, let's go run a marathon. We just saw people and, 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 and I'm like, and I'm like, I need a book and a dark right. place. And I'll, I'll go, go sleep a marathon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but Wally, thank you so much for your time. I thank you that you just um, were so vulnerable in your um, and transparent in your story. And you were willing to share the parts that are hurt and that um, you were able to talk to things that we um, as a, as men don't like to talk about. And, um, as women who are listening to this, uh, because I'm learning through your daughter, partially that women are also listening to this project, which is super cool for me. It's like, Absolutely. a it's like a, it's like an added on, like my, my target audience was this, but also I'm getting other people listening. So God is being glorified through it all. And I hope that that's the case, but, um, I really appreciate you. And I just, thank you. Well, it has been my pleasure, my privilege. Uh, love talking to people, Mitch. It's been good getting to know you a little bit more, and uh, hopefully there'll be more interactions in the future, not necessarily via podcast, but um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for your service, that what you do in the church, as well as uh, trying to help men. That's a, a underserved portion of our population. Uh, we, we don't want to keep things in the darkness. We want to bring it out into the light so that we can deal with it. And, and live truly the John 10, 10 abundant life that Jesus wants for us. Dang. Yeah, I'm just not even going to try to add to that. I'm just going to let that be the end here. So Wally, I thank you so much for coming on, for sharing your wisdom, for being uh just for using your your testimony as a weapon and so thank you for that uh and i'm excited to see what this does i'm really excited about this episode so until next week you guys peace thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the over a drink podcast Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the over a drink podcast and on Twitter at over underscore a underscore drink. Reach out and send me a message. I'd also like to encourage you to visit our website at theoveradrinkpodcast.com and sign up for our email newsletter. We're working on weaponizing testimonies here on this podcast, and that isn't exclusive to those who are on the podcast. I'd love for you to send me an email at overadrinkpodcast at gmail.com with a written version of your testimony. I'll put it together in a blog format and then we send it out to everybody on that email list. And in an instant, your testimony will become a weapon. 
You never know what God is teaching you in your story that may affect somebody else's story. Finally, I want to invite you to join me in supporting this project. There will be a link in the episode notes to a platform called Buy Me a Coffee that will allow you to partner financially with the Over a Drink podcast on a monthly or one-time basis to help move the mission forward of reconfiguring societal norms of what a man should be. Keep an eye out for our next episode. Peace.